0: <laughs> <laughs> Welcome
1: to Week in Horror.
0: All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up.
1: The podcast that deep dives all the films you love. You gotta be fucking kidding. The week they dropped in horror history. We all go a little mad sometimes. With your horror hosts, you. JL. When a shirtless Sam Elliott with no mustache takes out a, an alligator with, a, uh, with an oar, that's the kind of movie I'm looking for. Eugene And
0: we're just casually just like, yeah, so that's probably the best way to go. Light someone on fire. You have to leave. Alex
1: It would not be an original lineup if I didn't have fucking technical.
0: <laughs> Johnny O
1: Now, it's not an Amityville. Or wherever. It's Mammyville? And Aaron. They, they got manure to work with and nothing grew from it. <laughs> News, trailers, trivia, special guests, and more. You're going to need a bigger potion. Live show every Wednesday, 7 p.m. central at youtube.com slash week in horror. Welcome to prime time, bitch. And wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: One by one, we will take you.
1: Week in horror. <laughs> Stay Scared. (laughs) Welcome,
2: welcome, horror fans. It's Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time, and that means it's time for another episode of the Weekend Horror Podcast. The only podcast that's knee-deep in the dead. And if you, dear horror fanatic, are listening to us at the top of the week, remember, we do this live every Wednesday right here on YouTube. Come hang out and see all the stuff our editor doesn't want you to see this week we're covering select horror films released february 12th through february 18th thank you all so much for joining us i'm aaron and with me right now is jl and hopefully later eugene
1: yes fingers crossed eugene was uh making it home from a gig and he just let us know that he was that that was the that was the delay there is we didn't want to jump without him and he just let us know that he's on his way um i hope the weather's okay down there i don't want him to rush because i want him to be safe but uh we were you're kind of holding like, is he going to be? Yeah, was he going to be here at the time? But uh, yeah, he's on the way, so hopefully he'll be here shortly. So how are you uh, doing, Weather man? puts.
2: A, no. oh, I'll say weather puts an ass in Texas. Yes. It uh, <laughs> <laughs> as, I'm as doing as a all right. 30,
1: as a former resident of 30 years, I can I can attest to that. I actually. Can't. I
2: have been through Texas four times. Three of them were dreary and miserable and uh, not it just not pleasant at all cuz it was just on the verge of cold but not quite cold first time i went through though i started out in north carolina i had to route up through tennessee like the northern route to tennessee because of a landslide blocking the interstate back down we're like it's going to get warmer once we get down towards texas we had a cold front follow us all the way through to new mexico <laughs> i'm like jesus i'm like texas is in the south what the hell man <laughs>
1: brutal brutal all right so yeah hopefully uh eugene will be uh with us here shortly as he's making his way home from a gig because you know we we work you know in the industry so occasionally you know you get on set and you can get if you yeah, you know, we're talking delays you never know how long it could last sometimes they, they go the full distance something they, sometimes they go into golden time which is like where the real money is but uh well,
2: this can be grueling and psychotic before you even getting your car to go home. So that's true.
1: That's, that is true. All right. Well, how is everybody in the live chat doing? It's good to see everyone. Thank you all so very, very much for being here. I'm just gonna pop up the uh, the Patreon banner. See all the amazing individuals who help us to make this show possible. See a bunch of people in the live chat. Let's say hi to them real quick before we get started. We have one thing we got to do before we got to jump into tonight's selections. Let's see. I saw there were some comments earlier, but I missed them because uh, they were in here a little too early. But I see Casey Cooper's there. Good to see you, Casey Cooper. says, Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we yet there yet? We are there now. Good to see you, Casey. Thanks for being here. Travis Brown as well, one of our amazing patrons, says, Good evening with the cold and wet rain we are having, which is perfect for dead snow too. It absolutely is. We got some stuff to say. Excellent times. I uh, see Aaron keeping the chat uh, happy. Angel Rivera's here. Good to see you. Angel says, Good evening, everybody. Aaron Reese, every day. Good to see you. And let me see here, uh, DeNova's here, good to see you, DeNova, thanks so much for being here, bud, one of our big supporters, hope you're doing well, and I see Cindy Johnson as well, good evening, and Sarcasm, says good evening, welcome to my nightmare, welcome to my nightmare, absolutely, Sarcasm, thanks so much for being here, and uh, Fred Edges is in the house, good to see you, Frayed, says I'm going to be lurking today, going for a drive, we'll definitely be safe while you're listening, we appreciate you having us on, thank you, bud, it's always awesome to have you. Josh lee's in the house is hey everyone good to see joshua lead another one of our amazing supporters jay burz was is you get a tech issue you get a tech issue everybody gets tech issues well fortunately it wasn't really a tech well it's kind of a tech issue we you know we had had a host that wasn't here yet and he still got to get set up so but uh but yeah you know you know tech issues they happen you know we're doing it live so it happens oh let me see i can't have a stream without tech issues this is true sally skeleton is here says irish demon is here in spirit get it yes he absolutely was t- tinkering with our gear and, uh, you know, our host availability. Rodin L's name is here. so we weekend horror, saves me from another chilly live stream. We're proud to do it, to give you the alternative. Thank you very much, Rodin. We do appreciate you being here, bud. Gabba Gabba to you. And I see Brian Powell is here. Good to see you, Brian Powell. And Tony Regime, good to see you. Thank you, Sally, for the obligatory ghost. We do appreciate it. And I see that um, Brian says, I feel like death warmed over. Well, I hope you're okay. Hope you're feeling better soon. And thank you so much for having us on while you're recuperating. We do appreciate it, bud. And unfortunately, Joshua Lee, no Johnny. Johnny is not on the stream tonight. Um, he wasn't interested in the movies we were talking about. No, no, he's really, really important. He's got other shit to do. No, I'm just fucking with you there. Now he's just being Johnny. You know, that's what it is. He's got shit to
2: do, but I don't know about being important.
1: <laughs> yeah, I couldn't even get through with it with a straight face. I really couldn't. Oh, <laughs> uh, let me see here. Christo Kieran is here. Good to see you, Christo. He says, hey, JL. Hey, Aaron. How do y'all? Good to see you, bud. Thanks for being here. Joshua Lee says, got my stitches out today, so yes, I'm pretty much bed bound. Well, I hope you're feeling better soon, Joshua Lee. And I hope, um, Brian, Brian Powell, I hope you're feeling better as well very, very soon. It's good to see everybody. So, uh, that's right. It is kind of like gross out right now. My dogs. Oh, Cindy Sue. Good to see you, Cindy Sue. Thank you so much for being here as well, hon. We do appreciate it. It is gross. My dogs kept wanting to go outside. That's why I wasn't like, you know, here, I, I got everything prepped because I had to deal with them. So all of a sudden they wanted to go crazy, but it is gross outside. And I don't need gross dogs running around the house while I'm trying to about to go. Oh, I'm about to go live, you know?
2: Yeah, it's a uh, sky's the color of like, uh, what do you call it? Gray water right now. Just that nasty <laughs> oh, bunk out there. It's like i rather really just shut the windows and hide in the dark
1: <laughs> brian Powell says air show practice is why i feel like that oh i can see i, I get totally get that uh ronan all names says, no johnny are the movies that bad actually they're not we have some good ones that we're going to talk about tonight i promise no no turd polishing tonight i can guarantee you that so and the first thing we're going to do tonight is we have to do the bloodbath debate coin toss the bloodbath debate coin toss for this month now this bloodbath debate is between uh, our editor and producer Angela and of course Alex. Alex has a debate this month, so Alex will be returning to take on Angela as Angela defends her title. And the two that they are going uh, that they are going up against is going to be I, I had to go kind of obscure on this, so it's Ben Willis, the fisherman from I Know What You Did Last Summer, and Matthew, the hook-handed psycho from Scream Bloody Murder back in 1973. So we have two hook-handed psychos.
2: Triple fight? I'm sorry. What?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, the choices will be, I Know What You Did Last Summer versus Scream Bloody Murder, be uh, the Ben Willis, the Fisherman, versus Matthew, the hook-handed psycho. And since Angela is not here, I'm going to be flipping the coin as her proxy because she is the champion. So she gets to call, so I will call in there for her. And then she will get her choice. Now, I'm going to let her make the choice. She'll get to choose. And uh, Alex will have to pick up the other for the defense. So here we go. Flip the coin. Oh, I didn't call it, did I?
2: Nope.
1: I didn't call it. Yeah, whoops. Okay. You want me to call
2: it? I'll call it so we'll have a separate person.
1: You want to call it? Yeah. Okay, here, here we go.
2: Tails never fails. And tails. And it's heads. Oh, I don't have luck with that one. That one's <laughs> cursed. Where the fuck is Alex? <laughs>
1: All right. So Alex won that one. So Alex wins the uh, coin toss, and Alex will choose which of the two he wants to uh represent. And Alex will and Angela will pick up the other and defend her title against Alex. See if Alex can uh up you know up or uh, yeah, take the title away and upseat her or upset upset her, upseat her, unseat her, unseat, unseat her, unseat. That's true. Yeah, I'm see talking. You. Talking tonight. It's probably the weather. Oh, let me or see your brain, or my brain. It could be my brain. she <laughs> <laughs> never know. Uh, who did? Oh, uh, Travis or Travis Presses. Who did Angela pick in the last bloodbath? In the last bloodbath debate, Angela picked
2: the governor. The governor. She
1: took the governor yep. against uh, Eugene, who took Negan, and so the yeah, governor won.
2: Mm-hmm. that was a serious debate like that one is definitely worth hearing just for hearing the judges discuss and debate it i mean we ran through like an entire ensagement of a town <laughs> before yeah. we made a decision
1: <laughs> we had to go through so many scenarios in order to figure out you know because it was so that argument was so close and so tight and, you know there's so many factors involved and plus the strength of everybody's are the strength of uh eugene and Al- and angela's uh, uh arguments it was it was tough to decide, but we eventually got there. That was one of the longest bloodbaths we've had we've had because we took so much deliberation on the judges' parts. But it should be good. It'd be good to see Alex back. Alex giving a good defense, or Alex giving a good attempt to try and dethrone Angela as the bloodbath debate champion because he hasn't been on in a minute because he's been busy moving. So he is currently moving to a bigger house for the you know litter of children that he is that he has now. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Travis, you did fall. You did pay. You to fall asleep, but it was it was all good. But you know, uh, Angela won that one, so she's going to carry on. See if she can uh, maintain her title. Good stuff.
2: All right. So I guess we're going to kick it off here.
1: Yeah, I guess we'll get started, and uh, hopefully Eugene will be along shortly. Um, we should have plenty of time. Yeah, we should. We should have pretty. Yeah. We should have enough time. Absolutely. All right. All right.
2: Kick it over to you, JL.
1: Yep, let's jump right into it. So, let me get that prepped. Awesome. The first movie that we are going to talk about tonight released February 12, 2014, and it is Dead Snow 2, Red versus Dead. What a fucking great title. Oh, God. <laughs> this title was amazing. Let's check out this trailer.
2: Morten Hikkerud. Han från igår och drepte en och en Mercedes i Mercedes This is Zombie
0: Squad. That is a ten four, Martin, and we will be heading your way shortly. Listen, Martin. These are not your classic textbook zombies just hungering to feast on the flesh of man. No, these are most likely cursed zombies awakened to reclaim something that was stolen from them or to complete a task given to them. Okay, girls. Looks like we're going... to Norway. <laughs> First zombie squad kill. Jeez... What did you find out? What do the creatures want? Revenge. They have a tank, I see. Your arm, your power... ...is the only thing that can take down Herzog at this point. What do we do? We create an army of our own oh my God. You could buy weapons here. I know. What the fuck's the matter with this country? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so
1: good, so good. Oh yes, uh, Dead Snow Two: Red versus Dead. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm still trying not to laugh because so the, 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 I love that that stunt where he, where he he throws him through the roof and he comes back down the stairwell. <laughs> it was just fantastic. <laughs> Uh, written and directed by Tommy Ricola and uh, based on Dead Snow by Tommy Ricola and starring Wiener Hole, Origen Gamst, Martin Starr, Ingrid Haas, Jocelyn De Boer, Stig Freud, Hendrickson, and Christopher Yoner. Um, essentially, this is the sequel to uh, Tommy Ricola's Dead Snow, where a group of zombie Nazis are discovered up in the mountains. And after the events of the first film, which are beautifully summarized in the second film, these zombies come down and decide to finish their mission—the mission that they were trying to accomplish when they were first, you know, rendered, you know, undead—and they decide to finish it. And in order to stop them, the uh, guy, the, the lone survivor from the first film, enlists the help of a group of or the undead Russians who died trying to stop them previously. So it, it turns into a massive undead grudge match, which is just fucking amazing. Oh, that's beautiful. As the Nova states. This was a beautiful symphony of horror. It absolutely was.
2: (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's it's crazy because it's got. I don't think you ever get that sensibility in this country. You got that sensibility. It's really similar to Shaun of the Dead, where it's got the light comedy to it, so that this horrific stuff occurs, but it's still just like, oh, that's so funny. You know, instead of the the miserable grimness that we've got here, but um, yeah, it's like you're talking about because you told me you knew more about this than I did. Is the fact that it, you know, it involves a kind of a an homage or love letter to Sam Raimi. And uh th- as soon as I saw that chainsaw in the flashback, I'm like, we're going there, huh? And then the damn arm gets reattached, and I'm like, oh, we're going Army of Darkness as well. Where's this gonna go? <laughs>
1: I thought I, I, it was. I thought it was. But uh, yes, definitely, both films are absolutely. It, there's a little bit of meta there. And hey, Vera Lucia Campos, good to see you, Vera. Thanks so much for being here. Um, but yeah, I, it was it was a wonderful, wonderful uh, love letter, you know, from Tommy Vercola and Norway to the the works of Sam Raimi. And in fact, there's a little bit of meta in the first film, in the first Dead Snow, which I watched. I watched Dead Snow before, which is so I'd have the context. And then uh, there's a beautiful meta there where they actually comment on now one of the characters in the first film one of the guys who dies is a big horror is a horror film buff and so he comments that uh Evil Dead 2 was really just Evil Dead 1 but with a bigger budget and so they just kind of you know kind of redid it and so there's uh, you can tell that Tom for Gold is very very aware he's a great love for the horror genre and a great love for you of know, Sam Raimi is a huge inspiration to him and yes even went so far as to having the main character the the survivor the guy who survives lop off his arm with a chainsaw because he gets bit and then when the when he gets picked up and uh, by the police at the uh, end of the first film he wakes up in the hospital and then the arm they found was the arm of the zombie leader in the uh the, the, who he was fighting because his arm managed to get torn off they end up attaching the zombie leader's arm to him which gives him zombie powers to resurrect them and you know make them and do all kinds of wacky shit which is I absolutely adored. Uh, I did want to watch them both. I did. Uh, I was looking forward to it because I love Tommy Vercola Tommy Vercola directed, uh has directed a number of films. Um, While well, well Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters is kind of a flop. I, I agree it wasn't a very good movie. The script wasn't all that great. I will say that uh, What Happened to Monday and, of course, The Trip and um, Violet Night, all Yeah, you know, all his works were Fucking phenomenal so he's a fantastic director you can see his love for it and it's all in there from the dialogue to the cinematography and he's willing to go so far as to get a fucking tank now it wasn't an original german tank it was actually made up to look like the german tank because they the tank that was uh authentic was not available so they actually had to get one that was similar and then do it up to kind of make it look like it was a legitimate one but you can tell that a movie like this is an absolute blast and you can tell when you get to the chance to make big movies like this you know huge Movies, the budget on this to get tanks like that to get massive, you know, combat scenes with like fifty people on either side just going to town, and all of the effects and the gore effects are absolutely amazing. I can imagine this thing was an absolute blast to film.
2: Yeah, because they're opening it up. I haven't seen the original. I'm gonna watch soon because I thought it was. They didn't realize it was going to be a horror comedy. I've glanced past it I don't know how many times, and I thought it was just one of the really crappy ones that they made during the zombie slurge from The Walking Dead. But the, they've expanded from a fairly small cast and a small area to this entire town, and at the end, they just wreck this damn place between them and the house and the tank rolling through and everything else. They tear this place to hell and the cops involved i don't blame the cops if i walked into the middle of two zombie armies fighting i'd lean back and be like let's just see what's happening here (laughs) we'll take on whoever's left when there's a (laughs) winner
1: should we help them who the rotting who the rotting guys in the nazi outfits or the rotting guys in the russian outfits and (laughs) i love that little attention to detail there how the Nazi? how the nazis um how the, the zombie nazis they still have their their mentality Still have that kind of attitude of the th- that third Reich attitude of superiority, and you know the how they present themselves. And then the Russians, who are decidedly a bit more uncouth in that respect, a little bit more you know wildly on the battlefield, bring that in. The, the, I knew when uh, the uh, the big Russian dude was resurrected, I was like that's going to be a badass fight. <laughs> so well, and
2: it goes to the backstory too, because like the first thing you notice is the Russians are not in uniforms, right. and there's a good reason for that. I mean, it's a backstory; they'd been captured, so they're not the zombie Nazis are fighting like, uh, like military units basically. And the Russians are just all in like ragtag. Beat the hell out of them as hard as you can. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, it was this one was a lot of fun. That's the that's the beauty of this one. Both the first one and the second one. The second one was even more fun. Now from from the the that was the but that was the big problem is that because Tommy Ricole is a fantastic director and very, very talented, but his career saw a bit of a hiccup. This film um came after uh, Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. And that was problematic. And the problem was that this movie didn't really perform the way I thought it would have performed. Any horror fanatic is going to love this one. I, Aaron, this first time Aaron ever saw it, he was, you, I I know you fell in love with it. (laughs) And so, but unfortunately, uh
2: huh, it's amazing.
1: (laughs) And so, unfortunately um while well, dead snow was his third film and dead snow you know did amazingly and it catapulted him into like you know doing big budget productions which is why he got Hansel and Gretel uh uh witch hunters the problem was is that that film not great and unfortunately he got his kind of big break to do a big budget movie with Jim Arterton and uh, Jeremy Renner and it was a big action piece and then it just didn't go anywhere it was just it was a damn shame and then he quickly followed it up with Dead Snow 2, which didn't, which underperformed, unfortunately, and is the whole reason why his his career kind of took a little bit of a dip, and he's kind of had to rebuild himself, but he fortunately has with, of course, What Happened to Monday for Netflix, and then, of course, The Trip, which he filmed back in Norway, and then, of course, Violent Night, which I I think we can agree is fucking amazing and is already greenlit for a sequel on that one. So I wish this one had performed a little bit better than it did. I just don't think that, you know, the kind of commercial reception was after Witch Hunters, people were kind of like, eh, not really. You know, we're not giving him the, uh, the you know, not giving him what he's due. But this film is fucking amazing. But it just goes to show oftentimes politics or trying to get your opportunity, your breakthrough opportunity, if you don't really gauge your opportunity well, he probably should have turned it down and waited for something else and done Dead Snow 2 in, instead and followed up immediately instead of going for the big one. But hey, the money from... Hansel and Gretel may have helped make Dead Snow 2, considering the budget was so much larger than the first film.
2: Well, that's just the thing with movies like this too, though, is I don't think they they ever, or I should say they rarely make a box office boom because you can read them and tell that they're going to become a cult smash. They're really something that, Everybody thinks direct-to-video is always a bad thing. It's not necessarily. I mean, Shutter Video, the number of amazing horror exclusives they have that are just on them, that go direct to them, shows that with horror, it's not necessarily always about the box office. If you are smart and you bet on what used to be the DVD sales in, the Blu-ray sales in, which still exists, but a lot of it's the streaming sales in, the contracts and stuff, if you start to think more about that you're probably better off you know on evaluating that route with this kind of movie because it's something that spreads slowly but it digs deep till it's everybody there are big movies out there that everybody talks about and they recommend they're like oh yeah you got to see this it's great you know it's a recommendation then there's movies like this where you see it and then every damn body you know that you know is in the horror movies you're like have you you haven't seen this you have to see this. You're coming over to my house to watch this, and it <laughs> it spreads better that way. I mean, it has a more of a lasting ability. The whole well, you should see it dies off after one or two people. But these pick people up essentially virally and attach them on, and they love it. They stick with it. So um, I don't think it the box office failure is not necessarily a failure, um, That's especially with movies like this, but it it did have a few issues with uh that you see with sequels a lot of it is they got the budget and they felt obliged to spend it so the battle scene's great but there are pieces here and there that could get trimmed out and there's some other stuff throughout the movie they could probably trim it a little bit or they could have you know developed a little more to fill fill that space but it's maybe 10 15 minutes tops that could have gone like at the very utmost but it's just little things here and there that you really once, like once you see the zombie Russian like knock a hole in the shed with a Nazi, <laughs> you, you completely forget about you. Like, all right, I'm down again. Let's do this. So it, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I mean, and he's it's he's smart enough to know that with Evil Dead, um, it never. The original Evil Dead, it spread in the cult like manner, but it had trouble breaking the surface somewhat as far as wider popularity went. So it really was the original, damn near, almost say identically, but the major plot points were the same, and it modified stuff here and there. Um, this one they were smart enough to expand it out, deepen it, give some more options, and make it a little more exciting. Movie, so it is it's a true sequel. Um they realize that people now are going to demand that it's very rare that somebody wants to see a movie remade as a sequel once they've you know made their judgment on the original one so yeah he i think this i would put this in the win category for him for sure
1: absolutely definitely definitely now of course a couple of people have expressed in the live chat um having watched this one um See, sarcasm said, and of course, the obligatory German poop jokes, and some people were kind of put off by the outhouse jokes. So this is really, really interesting, and something I think is a cultural thing. Now, a obviously,
2: fan? <laughs>
1: Now, obviously, uh, <laughs> uh, poop jokes are like poop humor. Here in the States, we have poop humor. We do that, but it's extremely obligatory. It's like it's, you know, it's, we, we make the poop joke, and then we move on to the poop joke. But there's something to be said for poop jokes that are subtle and a part of the narrative that are just kind of there as though though this is a normal thing that happens. You're going to laugh at it because it's a poop joke, but we're not treating it like a joke. We're treating it like a legitimate thing. That's like this is just a part of the aesthetic, which is weird, which kind of like I think could be a little bit off-putting, but I think also adds that kind of like that cultural kind of sense to it is like, oh, yeah, which I think Tommy Ricola was brilliant about putting that in there. His awareness or his cultural awareness of his European cultural awareness plays a huge role in the writing of these things because the way people interact with one another and how they approach various situations is hilarious. And I think is decidedly un-American the way they would react to stuff. So I love the way he handled that, the outhouse stuff in the first movie, um, which <laughs> – which you haven't seen the first one yet, have you?
2: No, not yet.
1: OK, because so, there's an outhouse joke in the first one, which I think you'll even you will go like, oh, oh. but uh, in this, in obviously the second one, there was some stuff in there. And of course, I did see that there was some people there. Yeah. Poop occurs. Yes, everyone poops. Everyone poops That's what it is. But
2: I think it's uh, a, a leftover thing from the fact that we had so much of a Protestant uh, society when we first started that. It's one of those things that we, we don't talk about that. Like, we've yeah. opened up more about sex because sex is enjoyable and stuff. But, like, pooping, most of the stuff that occurs is, is rather unpleasant. So we have still stuck with the, like, if you're going to tell the joke, tell the joke, move on, and we're not going to talk about this again. Whereas elsewhere, it's not that bad. Like, in Japan, some of the toilet humor they have, like little kids are telling shit jokes without saying the word shit i'm like oh my god and the parents are like yeah that's so funny i remember that from when i was a kid it's like all right okay i guess we're doing that here
1: <laughs> <laughs> and here good to see anna, anna one of our big supporters thanks so much anna, anna for hanging out with us sir captain says sean sean the dead had much better one-liners but snow had better physical comedy it absolutely did the shit with the kid when the kid like unwraps it like like uh, like freeze him because he's locked up he's uh, he's in custody in the hospital at the beginning and this kid frees him and then winds up going out the window and it's splatter effective it's absolutely hilarious i don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it but a lot of people had an issue with the end of this one and that's the that's the whole big thing the end of this movie was supposed to open up the obviously the potential for a third film for the third for the third movie and uh hopefully we you know we'll you know I'm looking forward to it, you know, if we happen to get one. But the end of that was kind of gruesome because our hero, who has gone through the, you know, gone through the gamut of, you know, bringing up these zombies and winning this war and defeating Herzog and going through all this nonsense and lo- you're losing most of his friends and the zombie squad is there. Martin is fucking amazing. Um, I absolutely adore uh Martin Starr. I love him everything he does. Um, because people remember Martin Starr from uh, there's probably a bunch of these remember, but well, he was in Spider-Man films. He was uh, Peter Parker's teacher in the recent MCU films, but he's been in a ton of shit. And he's a comedian and actor. And I think one of the uh, a, a funny role that I saw him in for was The Last Lovecraft. It was good to see him in that one. But in this one, the hero goes to all this stuff and at the very, very end goes and resurrects his girlfriend. His dead girlfriend from the first movie. Resurrects her and then proceeds to, you know, <laughs> which we, we're soon to go to yeah. the dead for a minute.
2: This, this is, is nasty, really, the really, really, really nasty. nasty.
1: And then, of course, the uh, the credits, the the, the added credit scene, which indicates it's supposed to be a, a, a Dead Snow 3, which rumor has it was going to feature uh, zombie Hitler because Herzog was still alive. And, you know, so I thought, you know, how are that was going to go? Is he Pat the Batman fan? Good to see you. He says, most people don't talk about shit. They just talk shit. This is true. We talk shit. We don't talk about shit. Just to go and bone his zombie girlfriend. Absolutely. So we went We went into the whole... It went into the necrophilia stage, which was kind of... Which was obviously grotesque. Because she really looked grotesque. She was... Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> he didn't bring her... First.
2: Not like he restored her being necromancy to full vitality. She, uh, She comes out of there... And pretty much the state she started out in. <laughs> oh,
1: oh, so rough. So rough. <laughs> Sarcasm says necrophilia means never having to say you're sorry. Oh Pat <laughs> oh, the Batman fans says Martin Starr was great in freaks and geeks. He's also in Stallone's new Tulsa King show, which is great. Yep. He's getting a lot of work. He's he's a fantastic actor. And so he was a lot of fun in this one, uh playing the obligatory nerd who's kind of like out of his element, but you know, who who kicks ass. But this was a lot of fun. And that's the that kind of leads up to the question that I want to ask the audience. A film like this, obviously kind of a diamond in the rough. Uh, it's a Norwegian film. It was filmed in Norwegian and English at the at the exact same time. And I saw the dub, which was fantastic. Uh it was just wonderfully done. And so a film like this is kind of rare in that respect. And because of the kind of hit that Tommy Vercola's career took, we may or may not get the sequel. But that's what I want to ask the audience. Given how this one ended, Herzog is still alive, He still is he still has his power. You know, the zombie squad has been established. Do we want a Dead Snow 3? Given, you know, Dead Snow 1 was so great. Dead Snow, yeah, true. That is love, Vero Lucia. That is absolutely love. So do we want a Dead Snow 3? Yes or no? No, it's good where it ended. Tommy Vercola can go on and do other stuff. He's already got a sequel greenlit for Violent Night with David Harbour, which is going to further explore that mythology. Um, But uh, should we, you know, could we get a Dead Snow 3 with zombie Hitler? Could we see that? I'm um, really, hell oh, yeah. Well, I want to know what the audience thinks. Yes or no? Let us know in the live chat or, of course, in the comments below or at weekendport at gmail.com. Is it a yes or a no to Dead Snow 3? Should Tommy Vercola get working on that ASAP? And I say yes. Yes, we need Zombie Hitler. We need Zombie Hitler versus Zombie Patton. I don't know.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. God, yes, we do. Undead <laughs> General Patton, like. Just all he does is walk up to people and call them a pussy because that's what General Patton's general attitude was. Would be an amazing, amazing thing. Like you would have to handle it right, you know, subtly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and we can get Zombie Ava Brown, and we can get Zombie. And there's so many zombies we can oh, go. So many we can oh. bring There's so many jokes to be made there. It reminds me because I, I and I, I haven't talked a lot about it, but I really hope one day once we start getting our product once we get these productions out of the way in 2023 for week in horror the stuff that we're working on right now i really hope one day to make my romans versus zombies uh horror it's, you know it's basically like Shaun of the dead meets passion of the christ which i think would be i just you could just just roll it in your head that's going to be a fucking amazing movie if, if we get the chance to make it
2: <laughs> you could uh, there are so many reenactors too that we would be down for that cuz reactors are generally in the same class as a foreigner so like recruiting for that army they would bring their own armor
1: <laughs> absolutely got a lot of love saying a bunch of yes uh let me see genova 28 says hell yeah 100 percent." charlie welp says might have my brains <laughs> Josh Ali says sure let's do zombie Hiller absolutely let's do zombie Hiller Tony regime says i knew a guy who was in oh no I told him he was, oh, I knew a guy who was in necrophilia bestiality and saved a mask I told him he was flogging a dead horse. (laughs) (laughs) Casey Cooper says zombie Hitler and zombie girlfriend revenge. It's zombie Churchill. Yes, zombie Stalin, Uh, Casey Cooper. Zombie Reagan. (laughs) Thank you. Thor Rest. Musin is here. So drop a like in the bot. Thank you so much, Thor. We do appreciate that. Thanks for popping by, hanging out. Oh, this is going to be good stuff. But yeah, definitely let us know what you think down in the comments below or we can gmail.com. Yes or no to Tommy Vercola's Dead Snow 3. We got to get on that. He's got to get on that. Well, unfortunately, Eugene is not with us yet, but uh, hopefully he will be here soon. I hope he's being safe, but we will care. We will move on. Uh, Aaron, pick up this bad boy.
2: All <laughs> right. <sorry>. Yeah. <laughs> From Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2008. It's The Caretaker. One of like 20 movies named The Caretaker.
1: <laughs> I know, it was a very common title. <laughs>
0: I know all about the secrets buried up here. I can tell you all about it, darling. It's Halloween. It's night. There are teenage boys, and they do stupid things.
2: No thanks. I'm not cold at all.
0: I just. I want you to be careful.
2: It's a dance, Dad. Not an orgy. Lighten up. <laughs> hey!
0: Honestly, where are we going? So who lives here? The caretaker.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> what? You're just kidding! His
2: name? The band can only afford a drummer and a, a bassist. You know, the budget I shot see. to hell. Booba lanterns.
0: Adam started getting jealous. He wouldn't let anyone look into the house at his brother.
2: He loved her so much that he went mad.
1: Take a picture with me in the fake dead body. <laughs> if I gave you a shovel, you could dig anywhere around this property and I bet you'd turn up a whole lot of bones. And I ain't talking chicken either.
0: been planning this for a very long time do you see the limo huh do you see the limo he freaking left us did you show him the chain is it
2: funny even more famous dating a serial killer than a student (laughs) (laughs) and that was pretty much it right there from what i understand Yeah,
1: that's pretty much the film. That's pretty much all you need to watch in this one. Um, You Go ahead and break it
2: down. I don't know what I can break down, because I couldn't get a hold of the thing. I just had to go through clips and everything else. Um, We'll, I guess, do a read-off of the description. A group of boyfriends think that taking their girlfriends to a haunted house is all in good fun, but it turns out that the urban legend about the place is very real. So, I mean, it's like... And this is a trope, um, but it's directed by Bryce Olsen, written by Jackie Olsen, starring Kira Barastro, James Emekis, Jennifer Freeman, Andrew St. John, Diego J. Torres, Jennifer Tilly, and Judd Nelson. And they spent most of the casting budget, from what I can tell, on those last two.
1: Don't forget, Jonathan Breck as the limo driver. who because jonathan breaks the creeper
2: oh yeah
1: from jeepers creepers (laughs) yeah i
2: always thought he looked like a stranger wearing jean Claude van damme skin but that's just me
1: (laughs) (laughs) this is so true he actually does (laughs) oh that's freaky and i've met the man so i was kind of like now i was like oh shit he does he really does (laughs) so yeah um uh so so sarcasm said this version of caretaker was uh this this film was so bad it's been scrubbed from the internet that's that that it's that bad and he is not lying so this is this is actually really really funny and yeah pat the batman fan says looks like they pulled out horror movie trailer cliche guide volume seven out for that one they absolutely did um so this particular movie it was very, very difficult to find, and here's what's wild: is I actually did find this film. I found it online and watched, on, watched it online. But the the fucking website that I saw it on was a was a very sketchy website. Don't worry, my computer system is safe. Everything is good. Uh, I have no nothing. I didn't pick up any bugs or anything. But it was a very sketchy uh, overseas uh, website that showed that had a lot of prawn on it and but it also had movies so but predominantly it was prawn so I found it the a red form. room yeah so <laughs> maybe so uh I didn't I, I don't I don't think I was on the dark web so anyway I, I I watched the movie there and it had this terrible I think it was either it was Czech it was a it had a dub running over it now you can still hear the English but the dub was running over the English and it was either like Czechoslovakian or it was either Czech or it was Uzbekistani I'm not I'm not sure I don't speak any of those. So I had to kind of like listen really carefully to hear what was going on. It turns out I didn't need to because everything in the trailer is everything that you see. It's uh, but I tried to share that link so that Aaron could watch it. And, you know, the the others could watch it, and all of a sudden it wouldn't show anymore. So like I found a link, it worked. I watched it, and now the link is dead, and now I can't you know we can't watch it at all. So I think I'm the only one who actually got to see this thing. And uh I'm it's the fuck the thing about this, it, it is bare bones nonsense. This is this is the one thing I want to talk about. It, there's nothing important about the movie in and of itself. The movie itself is bare bones nonsense. It's literally just formulaic by the number, paint by numbers horror. And you add in a couple of uh, big stars in this. So you they you had three named actors who were you know in b horror. You got Judd Nelson, you got Jennifer Tilly, and then you've got Jonathan Breck. Jennifer Dilley has the most screen time out of the three of them because Judd Nelson is in it for literally, I think, like less than five minutes of screen time. And then you've got Jonathan Breck, who was in there very, very, probably even less than that. Jennifer Dilley has most of it. Yeah, give, give my PC a penicillin shot. It probably, probably does need one. But no, I, I got it all cleared up. I'm, I'm safe. But yeah, this is essentially like one of those terrible films that comes along that just gets done. Now, likely done for either tax purposes you know the actors who were involved they got a paycheck it's pretty much just like one of those movies you do is, is you're kind of like building your career because no one in this has a name it's just a movie that was made and of course a terrible twist that you see coming about halfway through where Judd Nelson is the villain at the end I'm I'm giving you that spoiler so that you don't have to go watch this movie yourself her dad was like the the, the lead girl's dad was the killer the whole time that was the whole point and you know Jennifer Tilly was in on it as well she winds up getting killed and betrayed and, you know it's it's absolutely fucking ridiculous the big thing about this, and I kind of want to digress on this one, is that this is one of those movies that is representative of what I like to call the of called the, the Hollywood dump zone. And the Hollywood dump zone exists for every single genre that's out there. So you've got like for any kind of like adventure movies that will release, like adventures or comedies that will release straight, you know, straight to specific channels that host those types of movies. So like comedy movies are made solely for Comedy Central, other channels. You've got like your, your uh, romantic comedies or your dramas or like that that are made for like the Lifetime channel or fucking Hallmark channel. And then of course your horror movies that literally get dumped on you know some some obscure channel then either or dump straight to DVD and then go right to the bargain bin because there's no money put in to market it whatsoever. And it's ostensibly what this thing is. And the reason these things exist, it's kind of both vital And kind of obnoxious because they're vital for the industry because they allow for studios to have tax write-offs on scripts that they've purchased and they're trying to get out and they can write those things off. But those tax write-offs give them the room to do the other films that we all enjoy and the ones we're looking forward to, unless, of course, you're the asylum. But they also are really, really obnoxious because it's a waste of time. It doesn't further anything. And all it does is kind of drag things down. And, of course, the people involved have it on their resumes. So it kind of is a double-edged sword dealing with these, but this is kind of one of those ones that represents a vital part of the industry because movies like this help to keep studios alive.
2: Well, and you chase you when you trace this movie backwards and movies like it, where you've got two actors that have not heavy salaries, they're B movie. They're not necessarily B rated talent, but they're B movie actors and you go back and they put all the money into them, very little into the other actors. And you're like, well, you could do a more balanced cast and have a better movie. But I think they do that in anticipation of the fact that they knew when they sat down to cast this that they had an absolutely garbage script and they were going to have to take and throw in a couple people up front just as a lure to get that rental out the door or that purchase probably like the purchases are, this thing's going to go bargain bin fairly fast, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, when it's new, you're not, I don't think you're gonna see a lot of purchases. Most of it's going to be rental or streaming. They use those names to get them out there. And then you can tell just by the trailer, the lighting's bad, dark. People don't realize how much talent it takes to do darkness because, Lighting in bright daylight, whether you're using sunlight or you're simulating it, is relatively easy. You've got some diffusion uh, that you sometimes need. You Sometimes you reflect it, bounce it, things like that, but you're just getting lightning. Around. With darkness, you have to put just enough light in just the right places so people can see what's going on, but not too much because you don't. Most time you don't want to see the monster right away, whereas this one, they just darkened the hell out of it and ran with it. So um it tells me that across the board there was no passion in the project. People just showed up to get it done, get the paycheck, go out and that's because the producers bought a script that was cheap and ran from there to get the tax write off or get the rental fees or whatever it might be. I mean just straight down the line nobody cared.
1: Yeah definitely definitely a film with ulterior motives and angel rivera brings up sci-fi sci-fi does that a lot that they will green light mm-hmm. really really cheesy very very simple shoddily produced films solely in order to like you know get to one get from point a to point B. because you know sometimes getting the movie done or having the big the big budget movie done you need to be able to offset the costs of those especially when you're hiring specific actors or you've got you know particular names attached to it unless they're willing to work for cheap like danny trejo will be in anything, and he doesn't care. He just wants to work. So long as you pay him, he'll be he'll be in your movie. He's accessible. So, and Casey Cooper says, I recall you saying that at the start that they were all good movies. I think you may have fibbed. I didn't say all good. I said there'd be no turd polishing. In,
2: no, in this, no this, in this one doesn't get a paint job. This one no. just gets flushed.
1: And, and I will say this. I will say at least this. I will. Uh, Jennifer Tilly, um, Judd Nelson, and of course, uh, Jonathan Breck. They all, I mean, everyone is at least professional. You you can tell when actors show up and they're bored and they have nothing to do. And a lot of the, the no-name actors that are in this, you kind of get that sense, which just further takes you out of it. The poor cinematography, the very, actually the very amateur cinematography in this, because there is nothing really interesting done camera-wise and the director of photography wasn't really, folk, if, if they, I'm pretty sure they had one. But when you, when you look at it, everything is very amateurishly shot. It's literally just your basics, your wide shot, your close-ups, and that's pretty much it. There's nothing intriguing done from a narrative perspective. So there's no investment from the camera in and of itself. And then of course the, the actors who have no names, they're just there for the paycheck in order to put something on their resume. So it's resume padding and it's money in order to pay the bills. So none of them are invested at all. But that and therein lies the difference because at least Jennifer Tilly and Judd Nelson and Jonathan Breck, who we have seen put in performances before, who have talent. Jennifer Tilly is a very talented actress. I've seen her in many things. While well, she's gone cheesy, kind of with the whole, you know, the uh with the Chucky series, with both her uh, her roles in those films and of course in the currently ongoing sci-fi film or sci-fi series. She d- can do cheesy and goofy, but and she plays to her, you know, plays to the kind of like the visual thing, like she's kind of like the the ditzy goofy chick. But she actually is an amazing actress. She's extraordinarily talented. And so is Judd Nelson, is also very, very talented, as is Jonathan Brett. But there's only so much that they can do because these are not, you know, they're not leads the way they used to be so they've got to, you know, they got to make their money somehow, at least they turn in professional performances. They don't phone it in, they're still invested no matter how bad the script is they deliver them the best they can and they're actually the best parts of the movie, just to see the minute sadly, they're only in it that long so it's kind of like whatever. And, and, And he says maybe it's the low res but Jennifer Tilly looks hot in this movie she's always looked hot. I think gender fertility always looks hot. That's just, you know, that's me. And Judd Nelson is fucking harsh. I love Judd Nelson. He's great. And, um, ever since breakfast club. And then of course, Jonathan Breck, I'm a big fan of his because he was the original creeper. So they do what they do. They're professionals. They show up, they do their jobs correctly. And the problem is just that the material you're working with is crap. So it kind of drags them down. But, uh, but yeah, ultimately, this is one of those ones you can kind of toss. There's no point in it. It's just bare bones, kind of insulting to the genre, in my in my personal opinion. But it did make me appreciate the actors that we love because they come in, they they do the job, they do it professionally. They don't sit there, like phone that shit in and be like, Oh man, this is just even, even the big names are bored. Nope. They're there to be professional and they do it, and you got to respect them for it. And I love them for it. So yeah. So while I disrespectful, I don't like the actors. I, I would do the other actors. I don't like the production. The production was shit. and This movie was fucking crap. You know, thankfully we have solid actors who still, no matter what they're in, will good. You know, put forth a good performance for the fans. For their paycheck, they earn their living. So.
2: Well, yeah, that's what, and they call them working actors for a reason. I mean, they're. It's not like they're getting three big paychecks a year. They know that the next gig's always important. So. With beginning actors, they somehow, they might th- not take it seriously. They're going to screw around, and that hurts them with big, na- really big-name actors. If they got something like this, you know, they're like, oh, this is garbage. I'm just going to get through and get it done, rest on my laurels. But with working actors, your next gig is always important, so they're going to show up, and they're going to do what they can with script. Script is garbage. You can only take it so far, but they're always going to put in on it to try and make sure that they keep that nice stable set of jobs coming in because even if you don't the public doesn't notice it people behind the scenes agents producers casting directors they know what happened on the last film and you don't want that reputation
1: even even, even like the first time directors or like kind of like those <clears throat> directors that come around and all they do is kind of the low budget stuff if they get you in your product in your project and even those little guys, they have a voice. There's a reason they're directing movies and they're doing it because they're all, they're, they're all members of the DGA. They're all members of the guild. And so you get a reputation as an actor no matter how big you were. You get an apta- a reputation as an actor who's just like, doesn't give a fuck at this point because oh uh, this, this film's so low, but it doesn't even deserve my deal. Or I'm getting paid scale for this. Fuck it, I'm not giving my all. That adds up and people will talk. People talk in this industry and it's a word of mouth industry and you know people's careers live and die by that. So I will give him that. that. That that was one thing. I, I dug that. I was kind of like, oh, shit. Well, at least I'm not. I was like, oh, shit. She actually kind of like, she's giving it. She's, she's bringing it. So good. Good for her. <laughs> oh, yeah. She
2: always does. All right. Speaking of our question for you, who is your favorite B-movie actor or actress? You can let us know at WeekendHorrorGmail.com. Drop it in the comments or let us know in the live chat. I already know who mine is, hands down. Who's that? It's uh, Linnea Quigley. Like, I would say for a couple reasons. This is a joke, but she does, like, her commitment to horror movies has been unquestionable Um, for her, her entire career. She's always just down to make it the best movie she can. She's never been a list talent, but she's always been committed.
1: Nice. I have, to, I have to admit, I really, really, um, one of my favorites, I was thinking about this, that one of my favorites is Ileana Douglas. Um, and I know, probably, I don't know if anybody's, uh, I know, and I know that people bring up like Bruce fucking Campbell. I know Bruce Campbell is amazing in there, but I was sitting there thinking about Dee Wallace is up there as well. And i quite, she's the B the Horror GOAT. Thank you, Sarcasm. Dee Wallace is in B Horror is the GOAT. Um and I love D Wallace. I especially love her because you know she, she kind of flirted with me at Texas Prime which was really, really nice, made me feel kind of special. But um, I will say that I will say this. I was sitting thinking the thing as far as B movies go, and as far as character directors go, <clears throat> I love iliana Douglas. iliana Douglas has a look and a and an energy that she brings, or kind of like a presence that she brings to her roles, which just gets me every time. I love the way she approaches everything she does. She, I don't I don't think she's done anything as of recent. She may be beh- working behind the camera. But as an actress, I really, really love her stuff, and I just kept thinking of her because she's got a look that just kind of that's kind of uh, mesmerizing. People remember her from *Star of Echoes. She was fantastic in that. So let me see uh, *Pat the Batman* show, Batman fans says *Ghost World*. Fuck yeah, hell yes. All right, so I guess I got this next one. This is an intriguing one. I've been mean, because we don't get to spend all, we we don't spend a whole ton of time in this area, but I'm glad we get to talk about this one because uh, I think this one's important to address because it's one of our legends, one of the one of our favorites. Released February 15th, 2008, we have Diary of the Dead. Let's check out this trailer.
0: Two news agencies are reporting accounts of the dead returning to life. was that? You
1: can't talk it's about it. Yeah. Demo- what is this
2: about, Jason? Oh. This turns out to be a big thing. I just want to record it. <laughs> this, to to record it. <laughs> it for this sort of failure. It's it's a big
0: thing. Is. What's the the Look. What's hurt? what's all burned up. The problem doesn't seem to be that people are waking up dead. <laughs> the dead people are waking up. It's not going down. Shit in the head. No, They're not getting the truth from anybody else. All that news is a pack of lies. I'm uh, dealing with this crisis.
2: Now. Ah! you got to know that this
0: might be bad. I'm trying to get home to my family, okay? Don't Something's bury dead. Right? The shooting head. People start running out of
1: food, water, gas. They gonna start shooting at each other.
0: Trust somebody. What would you do? Kill us?
1: I think about it. Maybe one of them got in already.
0: They're saying they're all dead? Yes. There's a
1: hospital. There's nobody here. This is
0: a diary of cruelty. Come on, before we get our asses shot off. I can't do this anymore. Every time we walk in somewhere, somebody dies.
1: (laughs) <laughs> uh, that's uh, i'm sorry i just read a comment in there so diary of the dead or george a romero's diary of the dead written and directed by george a romero the legend and starring michelle morgan josh close sean roberts amy lalonde joe dinicoe uh scott wentworth philip Riccio, chris violet and tatiana Maslani. yes tatiana Maslani from uh you know she hulk fame now um and of course orphan black so the film in itself, it kind of goes back towards the beginning of the outbreak. And it's a uh, found footage film that is set uh, just a, kind of like a couple of like a day or two after the initial beginning of the outbreak. So this technically would uh, take place um, right after Night of the Living Dead and during the events and slightly after the events of Dawn of the Dead. So the film itself follows a group of filmmakers, a group of filmmakers decided to do a horror film for their, uh, for their, uh, college project and they're out shooting that night when the dead begin to rise and the outbreak begins so they're out on on set doing their thing and then because they have their cameras with them it turns to do a found footage film as it follows them and the film is a uh, a combination of uh, both their handheld footage and of course a uh, security camera footage so i have to admit I'm a giant George Romero fan. I absolutely love Romero. And Bruno name brings up and says, who would have thought the Amish guy would have been the GOAT? He absolutely was the GOAT. That was fucking crazy. Um, but uh, I respect George Romero. I, I've, I will always respect George Romero for Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, and to a degree, Land of the Dead. So this was the fifth one, and this was the Swap Followed Land of the Dead. And this one was far, far lower budget because... Romero wanted to get back to something a little bit more, uh, a little bit more hands-on, a little a, you know, smaller budget, a little bit more within his control. That didn't have the scope of Land of the Dead, which was a massive effort because they kept getting bigger and bigger. You know, go from the, you know, from uh, from uh, Day of the Dead to Dawn of the Dead to, uh, or from Dawn of the Dead Day of the Dead to Land of the Dead, which took place in the in the the building. So in this particular one, I, like I said, i al- I'll always respect Romero for his examination of cultural of aspects of our culture aspects of our society and satirizing them with the zombie outbreak where he takes a particular thing that we would all kind of agree is kind of a, a negative about it and kind of like turn it on his head and reflect it in the zombie apocalypse. The problem is, is that having gone four movies, you know, we've got Night of the living dead racism. You've got Dawn of the dead uh, consumerism or capitalism. You've got um uh, day of the dead, the, uh, the, the, uh, military industrial complex and then you've got land of the dead which was class warfare and then in this one his idea was emerging media was in the sense that like we are separated from the zombies that emerging media is turning us into that kind of isolated individual separated from everybody else by these screens because we look at everything through screens that's how we get our interactions is through the internet through social media and that is separating us as people and dividing us and so there is a sort of desensitization or a, a dissociation that we have with the people around us as far as trust goes and, you know, accomplishing tasks that interferes with their ability to survive during the zombie apocalypse, essentially making us all into these identityless kind of, you know, uh, you know, automatons that are just on the screen. So similar to a zombie where it has no identity and does one single function, all we know about each other is the image we put on the screen. So he was examining that how social media and emerging media is turning us into zombies ourselves just parodies or just like identityless you know one dimensions of who we really are and that affects us and affects our ability to, to survive it's an intriguing concept but unfortunately i couldn't decide if it was the found footage style because the cinematography even though it's romero i still come to, resp- I, to come to have an expectation this felt so short of what i expect. i don't know if it was the found footage or if it was the acting or something in there but i think felt that this fell short. emerging media is interesting but does it fit?
2: you yeah, you kind of hit the nail on the head there because so what he's really trying to comment on more is the youtube generation which it was still emerging back then, that was 07. so um youtube was out there but still forming into what we know it is today if he had had a better grasp on what it was or where it was going, I think he would have been better off because he shot it found footage style when really the commentary he was trying to make was more self-production style because part of what he's trying to project is that we've become so adapted to viewing things through the lens of a camera because people have more access to them. They have more access to publishing and everything that it's not real to us unless it's through the camera, but on the other side, we're so jaded and cynical that when this starts, people are like, "No, this is fake." Back in the day, when this was audio, because they, they think they make commentary on does this one, they make commentary on Orson Welles, I think.
1: Yeah, um, yeah and Orson the
2: disbelief.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah, and it's kind of along the same lines. Well, now we've got video, but at the same time, you know, effects have come a long way. People did stuff like that for fun, um, so I think it kind of hurt him that he wasn't ready. Be it where society was at or where he was at to move into the YouTube generation. But on the other hand, it kind of, it's almost either meta or recursive, however you want to put it, the fact that a lot of people are going to crap on this movie because of, of quality. They're going to say right. that this is lower quality than Land of the Dead. It's, it's shot with its handheld camera quality and all this and that. But if you think about it, compared to Night of the Living Dead, so he's gone back to an intimate cast Small number of people, you know, smaller sets, not as grandiose. If you compare it to Night of the Living Dead, where the things that people are crapping on, like the quality and everything, are are light years ahead of where we were back then. You've got better video quality, um, better audio quality, uh, ability to reach a greater number of people because Night of the Living Dead spread in a very underground manner originally not like it was on every cable channel right away. It was absolutely word of mouth. you got all this, and people still aren't happy with it because of that. Now, if you want to discuss, like we're discussing, you know, how it's portrayed, or you want to discuss acting, which I think the acting, for the most part, was good to great. Like the the teacher, he was brilliant um, at that part. Uh, but to take and do it because of the quality of it, it's just ridiculous to me. Um, but on the other hand, like, I think, I won't say Romero hit his creative arc with Land of the Dead, because the big thing was he used a big production company and big setup to portray something that required it, uh, and people are gonna judge it as being, some people will judge it as being one of the best films, I don't. Um but they're gonna judge it by, by that just because of the the amount of money that's poured into it. But at the same time, did it really hammer in its message as much as this one did? Because this one stayed pretty much on the subject the entire time. So I liked it. Um do I think it's it's through the roof great? No, but I still think it's a good movie. I don't think it's a failure of what it's supposed to do.
1: I think it, it, I mean he has his particular style. Romero's got his style, and this is still in the vein of what he likes to do, and it's keeping with you know what he wanted to keep his Living Dead series going. This is what he wants to focus on. You know that the zombies are a metaphor for some various thing that ails us. It to me it felt it, it felt it felt a little bit a little bit graspy. It almost felt I well I can see that it was it almost felt kind of uh, I hate to use this term. It Romero was was it was you know. It was close to the end of his life at this point when this movie came out. There was one more that said this was Survival of the Dead, which was not great, which I think was even, was even worse than this one. Because I think there is a level of diminishing returns when it comes to this. At, at a certain point, when you look at the time when you know, when Night of Living Dead came out, it was 1968, Romero at the time, and what he had seen and you know, at, the, at his age... Was very very relevant, as well as the idea through the 70s and the 80s, consumerism, capitalism, the the military-industrial complex. These are all very very relevant topics at the time, because you had like you know Eisenhower going out in his speech about the industrial-military co- the uh, the military-industrial complex. You had the idea that you know during the Cold War you had the idea of like what capitalism is, what consumerism is, what it does to us, what it's turning us into. The period of the 80s, you know, the birth of the yuppie. I can see him seeing all these things from his perspective and why they needed to be looked at in this kind of vein. I get get that. This one felt a little bit kind of the old guy kind of looking at today because he's so rooted in kind of like an old, kind of like a a much earlier mentality. So that's what it kind of felt like. I kept getting the the reinforcements like this, this kept feeling like an old guy lamenting about the youth today those kids today will never understand. And that kind of took me out of it. Survival of the Dead even more so because the Survival of the Dead was so cynical that I was like, wow, he's really kind of, it, I felt that there was, there's a diminishing returns there. And they really begin with Land of the Dead. Although class warfare, where the richer at the top of the building and the poor are at the bottom and the poor are the, mediocre, the ones who are, who are being threatened because the zombies are at the bottom. I get that. Now I get the first four, although I felt in Land of the Dead, that's where it kind of began because there's only so much you can say by saying, you know, the rich suck and the poor have it the worst. We're aware of that, but how do you satirize that? Basically that's how the rich will sacrifice the poor in order to maintain their own survival. And we we get that, we absolutely do, but it's kind of like he keeps hitting us with these truths and it was like, yeah, and so it was getting a little old because we know what to expect. So that's kind of the diminishing returns. What's he going to satirize this time? What's he going to try to bring to the forefront? And I think this one is kind of like, oh, really kind of fell off, not to mention, Michelle Morgan, uh, for all her efforts, just really took me out of this movie because I felt her performance was awful. There were some good ones. There were some highlights. You know, we got um, R.D. Reed, who was Samuel, the deaf Amish guy, who was the fucking goat of this movie. The, sorry, the deaf, uh, the deaf scythe and dynamite wielding Amish dude, who was the fucking goat of this movie, who then also takes himself out. with It, it was like, holy fuck. So, I thought he was yeah, great. Artie Reed. It was great to see Artie Reed in this. He's also a, he was from uh, Dawn of the Dead. He was in the remake of the Zack Snyder remake. As was uh, uh, what was his name? Fucking uh, uh, Boyd Banks. Boyd Banks was also in Dawn of the Dead. And then of course uh, you know Greg Nicotero was in there as the zo- as the zombie surgeon. And then Romero was the chief of police who was on TV. So we get some cool nods here and there. But uh, overall, the quality combined, like the qual- the found footage quality combined with the kind of get off my lawn mentality um, that Romero, I think Romero was exhibiting towards the end, uh, just kind of just dropped it for me. And it's just like, damn, I wanted so bad, you know, for this to really to really capture it. But ultimately it just, you know, I, I didn't feel for anybody, you know, in Dawn, you really feel for the people in the mall. In Night, you felt for the people in the house. And uh, you feel for the people in the bunker in Day of the Dead you know and for of course uh you know bub so in that respect it's kind of like there was there was something to attach there there was nothing to attach there in, in this one i couldn't feel connected to anybody cuz everybody's got their own fucking you know uh, kind of mentality and those kind of i'm so dissociated but maybe that was Romero's plan maybe that's what oh, he was trying I, to reflect
2: if anything i think maybe he he lost the original point because from the very first, because Night of Living Dead was what redefined the zombie, hands down, no question. It went from voodoo zombies to undead zombies, and it's always been that the zombies are bad, but people are a potentially worse enemy. We have always been each other's worst enemy in the best of the zombies films, and that wasn't so much the case here because even in that uh, warehouse, bunker sort of area, The guy gives in and gives them the supplies. Um, They wander off, and yeah, every time they come somewhere, they lose somebody, but yeah, you don't feel for them. And it's not even a matter of just they're so into what they're doing. It's There's very little character development done, and part of that is that whether intentionally or not, this movie has a very jumpy style. It's segment by segment by segment, which is more modern it's it's more of what you're going to see from youtube and stuff like that and we've seen movies do it well and we've seen movies do it poorly like you go to vhs yes vhs is a past era, but at the same time it knows how to take quick clips stitch them together and make them work and this one didn't execute so well on that so maybe i don't even know if it's so much get off my lawn i think it's a legitimate issue and it's a guy older guy that's trying to say it and he doesn't know how to communicate it Uh, if he had taken on like with carpenter you say what you will about halloween but i think if carpenter had gone his own uh, newer halloween films i don't think they would have been even as good as they are i don't know maybe they would but i think carpenter was kind of i think he was moving out moving on um on the halloween series so you know bringing somebody in fresh to kind of that loved it to kind of work with it, to put it to bed might've been a good idea. So maybe bringing on an assistant director to work with him that was younger or some writers that got it more might've helped him a little bit, but just, yeah. Um, I don't think he had the the ability to, to get that message across at that time.
1: Well, one thing I'll always love him for was, was how much he really didn't like studio films. Romero just had a love for indie films. And what you could accomplish with an indie film and how indie films really bring the kind of bring the family of filmmakers together. People working, you know, accomplishing a lot with very, very little. And, of course, not having to deal with studio heads or budget things. People just kind of like breathing down your neck is because it's got to be this way, got to be this way. Meeting deadlines, all this crap. He loved indie films. He loved working at his own pace. He loved really acquiring the shots and being able to take his time, and that was the the beauty of it, is that he loved indie stuff. Now, his studio stuff was also quite good. You know, Monkey Shines was fantastic. I loved Monkey Shines. And you can see, after Land of the Dead, he very much wanted to get back to his roots, and I get it. I'll always respect him for it. It's just that after this one, of course, if you look at the movie that came after The Survival of the Dead, which follows... The uh, group of A.W.O.L. National Guardsmen that we meet in uh, in Diary of the Dead. So it's actually, you know, that was kind of a sequel to this one, where it just kind of follows characters that we met in that movie, and then it goes off in another branch. And that was the last one he directed before he passed in 2017. And so that one I felt was even weaker because it goes into this idea that this is where where this is like the new norm, and it really didn't examine. And because it was a continuation of a story that already began in diary. So that one felt just unfocused and just not really attached to what was going on. They were just kind of like, it felt like they were forcing it, unfortunately. And then fortunately it was the last one he, he, uh, he did before he passed. But I see Joshua Lee has got get off my lawn of the dead. Right. And then Tony <laughs> regime afternoon of the dead. Sarcasm says three o'clock buffet of the dead. And then of course uh, Tony regime, then the crossover film, Twilight of the Dead, which is actually really, really funny because Twilight of the Dead was supposed to be the, se- the uh the se- seventh. Yeah, there's supposed to be the seventh uh film in the Living Dead series. So it was in two thousand in the 2010s. Romero was dissatisfied with the series ending with Diary of the Dead, Survival of the Dead. He wa- he didn't like it. And I can understand why. Why he didn't like he didn't dig that and he penned a treatment for uh, Twilight of the Dead with uh, Paolo uh, right co-writing it with him and depicting a full conclusion to the series that explains the fate of the zombie protagonist from Land of the Dead and an ending where humanity has become virtually extinct. So it was very, very cynical and would have been really, really dark, but unfortunately, uh, Romero passed up from lung cancer in 2017. So that movie has been put back into development. It's kind of in development hell as of, like, I think, 2021, but there is the film that hopefully there's a lot of people carrying a torch for this, and hopefully we will see the conclusion of the of the series. Um, hopefully, because everybody loved Romero and everybody wants the you know wants to kind of like complete his legacy. It's there, just nobody's you know willing to pick up the reins so far. But Tony Regime, what's funny is that it, w- it was going to be titled Twilight of the Dead, which would be an end to the whole series. Um, man, oh man. I so wanted to love this one. I really, really did. But you know the acting, and it was wild because it wasn't the acting of everybody. The lead actress really took me out of it. She, like it, it, she just didn't seem invested at all. And then of course the found footage deal where we're jumping between, you know, security cameras and handheld cameras, and then people. It just it was so funky because all of the emotion felt forced. Because we're getting kind of like this in the moment kind of like, oh, bring the camera up. this is gonna be important, and you get no context. There's no character development or build, and we don't really give a shit about anybody because everybody just feels temporary and two dimensional. which may have been Romero's point. You may have been I won't I won't discount his genius. He may have been going for that, but uh, I don't I honestly have no idea. <clears throat> so I just wish I wish it was better. He deserved better.
2: Yeah, I would have been better with some uh, I guess you call them candid shots instead of them being so characters being so aware of the camera a few more where the cameraman's laid back just letting them do their thing instead of their constant interaction with what he was doing because especially because she's so against him the entire thing when he dies the script flips and all of a sudden now she's doing it and they didn't justify it
1: yeah so that brings Uh, us up given the entire scope of romero's dead franchise Bunch of films in there. One yet to be released. The conclusion yet to be released. *Twilight of the Dead*. But there were six. There were six movies in Romero's franchise. But you know, going from *Night of the Living Dead* before, he, before Russo branched off, it took his idea with *Return of the Living Dead*, and then we got Romero continuing his, uh, his, you know, whole storyline. So, what in your opinion? We want to ask the audience. What do you think is the best *Living Dead* franchise entry of the six that we have? *Night*, *Dawn*, *Day*, *Land* survive uh, uh diary and survival what do you think is the best what was the best what was you know I guess the peak of Romero's storyline there let us know down in the comments below or of course you get the live chat or of course um at weekend horror gmail.com I have a feeling we're gonna get a lot of dawn of the dead love
2: but which dawn of the dead yeah I'm certain to choose which That's
1: one True, either the either the original with uh with Ken Foree or um Let's see. We got Sarcasm says Dawn of the Dead. The original. Angel Rivera says Dawn of the Dead. Travis Brown says Dawn of the Dead. 70s. The original one. Tony Regime says original Dawn of the Dead. And then Rodney Last Name says uh, Night of the Living Dead. The original. Fantastic. Yeah, that's true. There was the Tom Savini remake in the 90s that had Tony Todd in it. So, um, But yeah, a lot of love for Dawn of the Dead. I get that because capitalism turning us into zombies, going after the... Uh, to the mall. I totally get it. I think it's something that we all identify with as Americans. It was just brilliantly done. I think in 68, the original night, I think that people were a little it was a little too close to home. And that's why it was so good. But then everybody's kind of like, it, it kind of shined a spotlight. It's like, yeah, you, you you're you a fucking asshole. Like, that's what you are. It's like, and people are going like, oh, shit. I think it was a <laughs> little it, it, it was a little too hard on the nose. Like Romero's like, I'm taking a hard fucking swing. Pow! <laughs> And so people were going, I mean,
2: oh. The entire feel of it, too, was, I think, better than the new one for the simple fact that you're criticizing consumerism. You've got just enough of a budget to make a really good movie with the set and the number of people you need. Um, so you're executing that way. The newest one had a bigger budget, and you're trying to make a commentary on consumerism. But you're working with a fairly large studio, a fairly large budget, which is going for a consumer's angle. And the only reason they're investing is because they know, you know, that the direction of the production are going to hit hard. Um, so I won't call it a sellout. I would never call the man a sellout, but I don't think it hits the point quite as hard in the same way.
1: Gotcha. Jenova 28 says, I'm partial to night, Night of the Living Dead. Joshua Lee says the one where we found out that the zombies could swim, and I'm pretty sure that's Land of the Dead. I'm pretty yeah, sure it was that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, there's so many good ones out there. I'm a big fan of Dawn of the Dead, the original, the original 70s one, and I'm also a fan of the Zack Snyder remake before Zack Snyder, you know, became you know what he is today. Yeah. But back when he was still trying. And but yeah, I'm a big huge fan of the of the original, and of course the remake. It's not that the remake was fucking brilliant. Everyone in that was great. Bing Reigns, Sarah Pauly, everyone was uh, Ty Burrell. Everyone was fantastic.
2: The day has been right. my favorite for a long time, but the more I uh, learn about the background Night of *The Living Dead*, the era it happened, and how it was developed, how it got published or released, and everything, the more I know about that, the more I become a fan of it. So that's just you know me being a, a movie weeb.
1: <laughs> no, I, I I agree. I mean, things everything changed. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Barbara. Look, Barbara. (laughs) They're coming to get you. I mean, everything changed. When that line dropped, and it was so early in the film. When that line dropped, everything was different.
2: I did that to my five-year-old the other day, and she just (laughs) stared at me like a deer in the (laughs) headlight. It's like, who the hell is Barbara, and why are you doing that?
1: (laughs) I always love that shot. That really know when he turns, he's like right there in the camera, he's just... Yeah, coming to oh.
2: get you, <laughs> That lighting was perfect. I don't know if that was intentional or by luck, but the fact that his glasses are obscured just enough till his eyes glaze over, till he looks like he's a pod person. Like, it's just <laughs> everything about that shot just worked out right.
0: Fucking, heck,
1: Fucking, a. All
2: right. So, I guess that's time to move on to the next one. So. From February 18th, 2005, we have Constantine.
1: And hey, Leanne Richard, accompanied by the Birthday Bats. Good to see you, Leanne. Thanks so much for being here. Let's check out this trailer.
0: Have a good night, Vera. Cold. Sure about this? No. <laughs>
1: Johnny Depp. Sorry.
2: Mr.
0: Constantine, I'd like to ask you a few questions. I know the circles
2: you travel in, the occult, the exorcisms.
0: Easy there, hero. That's dragon's breath. I thought you couldn't get it anymore. A liar. I oh, know a guy who knows a guy.
2: I thought that you could at least point me in the right direction.
0: Yeah, okay, sure. Okay.
1: Please. <laughs> You're such a dick.
0: What if I told you that God and the Devil made a wager for the souls of all mankind? No direct contact with humans. That would be the rule. Just influence. See who would win. Demons
2: stay in Hell. Angels in Heaven. They call it the balance. I need to see what you see. You do this, there's no turning back. You see them, they see you, understand? too short a period of time Go all right i'm just the the cast on this well first let's get directors and writers out of the way so it's directed by francis lawrence based on comic book hellblazer by jamie delano garth ennis and the story and screenplay by kevin broadben the the cast list on this is crazy so i'm gonna hit the best of along the way you've got peter stormare uh, the amazing peter stormare tilda swinton gavin Rosdale, Pruitt taylor Vince, max baker shia labeouf jimmon Hunsu, rachel weiss and kiana reeves um Oh, God, do I even got to explain what this is about?
1: Um, basically,
2: uh, a demon killing detective has to foil a plot to bring Satan's son to Earth and uh, nearly gets laid along the way. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, I think, OK, so this is the this is the big deal on this one. Um Constantine is what is I think is one of the more underrated of Keanu Reeves performances I love the absolute you know film and someone brings up something very important Angel Rivera brings up a very important point point. and hey fangirl 98 good to see you thanks so much for being here appreciate it Angel Rivera says I like this movie a lot but having read the comics from where it was adapted I saw what they had to sacrifice to make the movie for the masses and they did they didn't have to sacrifice a lot but that happens sometimes it, you know it's one of those things you kind of accept when you're getting an adaptation especially from comics from a long, from a running comic series There's only so much you can fit into a first film. You know, that's why I absolutely loved Keanu Reeves' dedication to the character and conveying it honestly. And they were able to grab, uh, you know, some major characters, Juman Hussauds, Papa Midnight, and, of course, uh, the other various characters, you know, Gabriel, played played brilliantly by Tilda Swinton, and Peter Stormare, who was one one of the best Lucifers I've seen. I thought he just... He ran with that, so every everybody in this is firing on on all cylinders. The writing was smart and capable, gave us everything we needed just to follow along, and invited people to go check out the comics as well, so they could get all the kind of like little Easter eggs, all the details, like the extended stories on Father Hennessy and Beeman and other people, and of course the Easter eggs of all the characters that are wandering around that we never that we only briefly see. Like oh, he's in the comics, ah! And so there's all that stuff littered throughout this. It was an absolutely amazing adaptation this is textbook how you do an adaptation you focus on all of the parts that work and you you trim what you don't technically need and then let and then you cast that fucker out the ass and this was brilliant casting from keanu all the way across i'm not gonna say all the way down keanu rachel vice Damon, uh you know peter Shiloh. i'm not even a child Buff fan and at least he brought it as chaz you know he did his deal which was which was good and so i gotta say Casey Cooper says, "I think the average person doesn't understand the way a screenplay works time-wise." Agreed. Agreed. There's a there's a big there's a big leap there. I mean, there's a gap where you know writing for comics so different than writing for uh, writing for films, and so trying to adapt it is very very difficult. And but they knocked it out of the fucking park.
2: Yeah, they, see, I've read some of the Hellblazer comics. I need to read more. I've actually got a digital bundle that I uh, bought a while back. I need to dig into. There are and there are significant modifications but most of it's done for time like the prime example is why he is going to hell because in this one it's because he killed himself whereas in the comics it's because he he got someone else sent to hell being arrogant and that's the sentence that we have the pleasure of just saying that but in movies it's show don't say so you're taking a quarter, a half of a movie to properly portray that. So they've got to trim that off. They got to trim this off and it it happens all over the place. Now you can leave it standing. And we've seen that happen in the eighties when they did comic book adaptations, it played well to minor comic book audiences. It didn't pay its budget half the time. I mean, they're the ones that got released by like Viacom back before they went big as a, you know, cable network host. Um, so this one, it was smart enough to go through. It trimmed what it had to and kind of wrapped that up, explained it different ways and everything, and it changed who Constantine was. I agree. Like, the the show, I used to watch it every Saturday because that's when it came over streaming on Hulu, and the week they canceled it, I nearly threw my coffee mug through the TV. I love that version of Constantine. But it took time to develop that. It takes episodes, and they still didn't fully flesh him out. Um, they ended up rolling him over into another series that, uh, uh, what is it, the, um, I can't remember the name of it. It's another DC series, and then he voices him in all of their cartoon adaptations because their cartoon library is great and stuff. So they did what they could in the amount of time they had, and they put quality into it. it so it's, it's a solid standalone. If you wanna, if you wanna complain about this, go back and find the Punisher, starring Dolph Lundgren. Because I know people have some hate for the new Punisher, the new Er Punisher movie, Thomas Jane, but the '80s one with Dolph Lundgren. It's like this is supposed to be a comic book. Who
1: is, <laughs> yeah. <who> is that? <laughs> they, they weren't fucking around. They were not. I <laughs> have given that. I did like I, I i know that the cw brought in constantine they did I, I always felt it was very much kind of like the kids version because this this was you know a, a vertigo comics this was a the, the dc imprint for vertigo vertigo comics which handles all of their heavy duty shit all of their adult stuff and so that's why you know like vertigo has preacher as well by garth ennis and that that you know series pulls no fucking punches whatsoever the original hellblazer did not either so it's, a, it's kind of a this is kind of a loose adaptation we can say kind of an elseworlds adaptation of john constantine and i love that that people seem to that people recognize that it wasn't like you adapted and you've ruined it he's like no this is kind of like an elseworlds version like some things are the same but we're changing up some stuff and we can characterize that i love that keanu was dedicated enough to it and everybody you know brought it um i always thought i did dig in the television series the kind of you know when they crossed over constantine with lucifer and did that whole kind of thing because of the lucifer series because also uh but lucifer that character being a uh, neil Gaiman uh creation for his franchise from the uh from uh the sandman uh works that he did so i really really enjoyed uh the the how they played in the universe was very very smart it really really was and i think and i gotta say this straight up um Oh, Extra J is, uh, good to see you, Extra J, says, I'm watching the conversation scene with Constantine and Lucifer right now. They're the other screen. badass. It's fucking amazing. So I, you thought Matt Ryan as Constantine was kid-friendly. <clears throat> so Constantine on the CW, I thought, did not, it, it, was, it was all the parts you need to make it Constantine, but not all of the grit to make Constantine. Because it comes down to it, he's an exorcist and he's a con artist and he's a fucking misanthrope. Constantine may be kind of bottom Vivant Vaughn but he doesn't. But he's not a social person. He's very antisocial in a lot of his shit. He masks that, you know, the whole kind of darkness of what he does. It's very, very similar to Farscape, where Ben, where uh, Ben's character in that, with the character in that Ben, uh, I think it was that, um, I can't remember his name, Ben Browder, with that character, the character of, of Krychek, Essentially, what he does, or Crichton, with the character of Crichton. Masks the insanity of what he's doing, what would dro- drive an normal person mad with his comedy. Um, John, or say, uh, Constantine, John Constantine does the exact same thing. Um, so the darkness that was living behind that shit wasn't really there in the CW stuff because that is that really detracts. That's why the same stuff in Lucifer, the meditative broodingness of Gaiman's Lucifer was not there in the Lucifer series. It went in some directions, but we didn't there's a kind of nuance that comes with that with that level of graphic artistry that I don't think you can replicate, or they choose not to replicate it, I'm not sure. And absolutely, you're welcome for the uh, for the Farscape analogy. I've always I've always loved that writing technique, a person's situation so insane that they mask it with confidence so they don't go crazy, or they mask it with something else. And that's exactly what I see the CW version doing. Now I love that Keanu did this, because this at the time that he did this back in 05, this was kind of other than the watcher where he played a serial killer but even then we didn't really see some extreme serial killery stuff you know we didn't see that so he, this was kind of as well as Keanu wasn't a dick I went back and watching this Keanu was a fucking dick in this movie he was an asshole which I thought was great his reaction his actions with Ruth Rachel Weiss before he opens up to her but he's typically just like this dick he's a dick to Chaz he's a dick to Gabriel he's a dick to everybody you know, until uh, he finally warms up and opens up and realizes he has something big going on. Eugene is finally here. Good to see you, bud. hey,
0: what's up? Did I miss all How the bad movies so- Did I miss all the bad movies so far? We only had one really bad movie. That was a really bad movie. That was a really, really bad movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, <laughs> that, was, that was.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Jafer says CW is definitely watered down. It absolutely is. but I want to say this. Yeah. I will defend this, and I'm kind of I'm kind of bummed that Johnny is not around because Johnny can't stand Keanu. He blames, he he like all whenever he sees Keanu, he all he sees is Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's all he sees. Like he like nothing will ever salvage Keanu Reeves for him. Not even Bill and Ted will, will salvage him. I think this is a magnificent performance on his part. I loved him in this role. And I, th- I think it's it's one of his most underrated, in my opinion. You
2: know, I will defend okay. it. I, I will defend it all day long. So, you, you know, talking about CW and the kids' version, basically, CW was the the top kind that the parents would see the teen watching it and approve it. Whereas with a comic, parents don't know what's going on there, so you're free to play a little more. So they they kind of brought it down that level. But the interesting thing to me is, so in the comics, there is a wider universe, and they understood that. There wasn't this, so they lean more in the direction of occult rather than satanic movies. You know, the occult tends to delve into more beings, a bigger, not necessarily pantheon, but um, a greater number of individuals he deals with who are demonic, um, etc., etc., it's not as far as Doctor Strange, but it's, it leans a little more in that direction. Whereas this one, they wrapped it up nicely towards a more satanic angle, something you would see, you know, like in the Omen, kind of. Like, obviously not the visual depiction of demons, but you can wrap up who's who, who they serve, what they're doing. There's nothing that you're going to leave strings hanging on. And they they thin down the timeline till with, you know, the show and the comics there's a wider lifeline expected on constantine his death is not imminent in this one they need to make his death imminent and he's pissed because of that and that's who he is i mean he is a person who has is coming towards death and he's not handling it well um in the show he it's you're talking about you know Crichton dealing deal insanity it's a person that doesn't let you close and they use humor to deflect it Whereas his Constantine is more of a person who's just not gonna let you close by being a jerk. I mean, simple as that. And Keanu has always done better with understated parts. He yeah, he's not as wide a, a an actor as a lot of other people. But when he's in the right part, he does a good job. And I think he did on this. I mean, we you know, we joked about Johnny mnemonic and stuff, and the <laughs> the fit that he has in that about not having a warm room and a hooker is prime example of why you don't send Keanu in the direction you do others where they're being bombastic and huge and stuff. And realistically, like, he's not going to do well with it because this is a guy that just doesn't let stuff faze him. Right. If you, you know about Keanu's history, I mean, he and his wife, they lost their child soon after birth. They separated, and then she died he's gone through a lot and he has remained a very good person. Like I can't remember which movie it was. I have to look it up where he gave the entire crew because, uh, of all the work they put in, he gave them all motorcycles. Oh, that was, um,
0: that was matrix reloaded.
2: Was it? Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, cause he's a big motorcycle guy and he's the person who does that. He helps people out. He's great. Everybody says he's kind and everything. So, He's not going, he's not easily shaken, so he's not going to play a character that's easily shaken well. Which, you know, as far as his personal life, I got to say amen and more to him because you've got actors out there who have a wider variety. You got Daniel DeLuce who can play anything, but God, don't ask that man for an autograph because you're going to lose your fucking hand.
1: Um, <laughs> I will say I, that, that was footage of Count Reeves that he was helping them to load onto the set for John Wick. You know, carrying fucking uh fucking cases up that up those damn stairs, like, yeah, these guys need a hand, man. He's willing to get dirty. That's what that's really the, the greatness in it. I love that it it's both a part of his roles and it's just who he is. And I dig that when, when he's in that, when he's in that zone, it just works so well for him. So you yeah, know, just I love it. That's why I loved him in this, because just you know, it's just him, but more cynical. It's like if this was a cynical version of Keanu
0: Reeves, you know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the thing is exactly. And he, in terms of playing some dude roles, he's kind of like the opposite of Nick Cage. Like, Nick Cage has to go extreme yes. for it to work. Like, Nick Cage. Can't cage do, rage. Yeah, he must cage rage, where Keanu is the opposite. Keanu needs that close, that reserve. That's why he works so good in like John Wick. Because John Wick is a character that has seen it all, he's done it all, nothing surprises him anymore, and he's just kind of, he's a ruthless killer that you can work for. And and the beauty part about it is, is that he's somebody who you can also root for in real life. He's just one of those he's one of those guys you just want to see him do well and it makes you excited about the next John Wick movie about the next Constantine movie about the next I don't care if it's John Wick 32 that's coming out I'm still going to see it in theaters it could be a piece of crap but I'm going to see it to support Keanu oh, like yeah. exactly
2: Yeah I don't get in a gunfight with that guy if you see the background grunt gun drills he did for John Wick and the target practice and stuff. It's like I don't know. He might be able to take a SWAT team.
1: <laughs> I think I
0: think he probably could.
1: He and, and him and Halle Berry, him and ha- uh, both of them. Because I saw videos of the two of them running drills together. But they're both unstoppable. So you know, damn. Like, he's you know Halle Berry got gross uh, for those. But I I love what he brings to it. I love his dedication. And plus Keanu. Um, I think has a has a great like like Nick Cage has a great appreciation for all mediums for all art mediums including comics and the story especially graphic novels and I think that because he has that appreciation that's why he brought so much love to the character and was so dedicated to it and we never got a moment where he was phoned in whereas his arc moves through and I love that because that this goes to show the talent of this man was. The arc in which he played from the very, very beginning where he's this cynical dude who's cut off. He's literally on the verge, probably six months to a year left to live. He's quickly dying and he's not going to stop what he's doing. He's going to keep going, trying to go. He's going to keep trying to get in, even though he's constantly told this is not the way it works. Until all the way to the very, very end when it all, when it's all done, you know, there's no way out of this. And you can see his character evolve and change such a short time by by working with angela and moving on to the moment when he has this back and forth with the fucking devil himself and there was basically like yeah it's all good it was like yeah i'm done i loved his arc it was so sublime as he naturally evolved through that you know encompassing the, the constantine of old. there's all these comments that you know this commentary that he's passed everyone is past their prime you know this was all the adventures are like you know we, we're much older now you know Demon Hussauds, they used to be like warriors for good. and Now everyone's kind of like chill, you know, it's kind of the end of the end of the road, but no, it's not. And I love that his character went through that arc so beautifully and so naturally and leading to this great climax with him and Peter Stormare, who I think doesn't get enough credit. Uh, we will, as being his film buffs, we will say Peter Stormare get, you know, gets a lot of credit for this, but his fucking Lucifer was fantastic. Oh, I loved him until this Swinton playing off each other were just great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I also like to say, I love the scene where Rachel Weiss gets sucked out the building.
1: Yeah,
0: that's such, and I just I remember that in the trailer where they're having a conversation, and all of a sudden he sees an elevator door pull behind her, and then she just gets sucked out. Like that had me hooked when that came out.
2: But well, it, it was it, they were smart about the execution on it too because. If you pay attention, she's not smashing through the walls. Because if you smash a human through a wall, it's going to mess them up. Right. The walls collapse before she gets to it and she passes through. And I'm like, I love little attention to detail where they think about that. Because all of these movies where they get superheroes that can like pick up or they can grab. like Somebody throws a tank and they grab the tank and they're in the same place. I'm like, I understand you're strong. But momentum is a real thing, and you only weigh a hundred and eighty two hundred pounds. That damn tank's taking you with it. <laughs> <laughs> Physics. <laughs>
1: oh, it was it was, uh, it was uh, the boys and Invincible that are that are that have really brought stuff like that into play. So that's what I dig. Kind of like this new understanding of superheroes in that respect. How in the boys it was very much Homelander couldn't save the plane. Is like, can't you just fly up underneath the carry the plane? Do you have any idea what the momentum of this freaking seven forty seven is? If I try to grab the nose and try to pick it up, you have any idea what the fuselage is going to do? All these people are dead. There's nothing that we can do. It's over. It's like, it's not this Superman thing anymore. It's like, yeah, I've got the whole thing. It's like, no, dude, that's not the way physics works. Same with Invincible. When he was trying to save the woman from, uh, pull the woman out of the war zone and the sheer velocity of him trying to save her wound up tearing her apart. So Uh it's brutal. It's a brutal shit that the the comics kind of ignored for a long time because we need heroes. We need heroes to believe in. It's like, ah, but the reality of it is, yet yeah, this is pretty hardcore. So, uh, Josh releases Lucifer dragging Constantine across the floor was great. Yes. Mm-hmm. When he's trying oh, to drag yeah. him in the floor, starts going, it was like, oh, I thought it was brilliant. Great stuff.
2: Yeah, it's and they sister. didn't, <laughs> they redeemed him, but they didn't over-redeem him. Because at the end, they could have gone with, you know, all of a sudden, he's this... He has this romance with her where he's opened up and everything, and that's not how it works. It takes time. Same thing. He's not this bright and shining great person because he's got a second chance at life. He's still quiet. He's still reserved. He's not as crabby and everything, but it's not this miraculous, despite it actually being a miracle, humans are humans. It's not this miraculous, swift redemption arc.
1: Fangirl, good to see you. Thanks for this. Uh thank you for the rewatch. Um I uh, hope you have a good night. Appreciate you coming by. Sarcasm brings up so much good CGI. It was yes. used very refreshing, very refreshing to see it used properly. Right. They they used the CGI where they needed the CGI, like the full-fledged demon, the uh the the little little bitches like the eye iglo- the like the, the understated eye glows of characters like Gavin Rossdale and Tilda Swinton. Um didn't and barely any with Peter Stormare, the broken glass, just little pieces that they needed. Just to just sell a moment, it, it was not an over reliance, which I thought was brilliant. And then, of course, um, fucking uh, Gavin Rossdale. Holy shit! This this was the first movie I ever watched. They had him in it. I was like, damn, this fucker can act.
0: I was like, All right.
1: <laughs> I was like, fuck! Not only can he act, he could be intimidating. I was like, this is this is some dark shit. And so I, like I said, beautifully cast across the board. One of the one of the best uh, Keanu Reeves films. It was so good. So yeah, when they. Uh... Uh
2: when an actor manages to just piss you off to your core, but you still know that, like, outside of that, they're a good person, but you hate, hate the character they play, that is a sign of a really good actor. Yes.
1: Gavin, I was thinking Gavin Rossdale. This is the dude who's married to Gwen Stefani, who's, like, the lead singer of Bush, the guy who nearly, who, like, single-handedly saved the first day of, of, uh, what was it, Um, Woodstock, of the new Woodstock back in the 90s it was like if he hadn't come out the place would have torn themselves apart and it's like this guy's like pure just like you know he's like Keanu he's just like pure pure Zen and then he comes out and he's just fucking he's fucking Balthazar this demon I was like holy shit he was great and and and, and kind of freaky so (laughs) yeah it's it's
0: almost like everything is Zen Uh... (laughs) Uh, uh,
1: (laughs) nicely done so I've seen some people mention it in the live chat and we definitely want to ask the audience. So, it has been rumored, given Keanu's success with John Wick, and it kind of like, you know, and of course, if you haven't seen it, the third Bill & Ted movie is definitely worth your time. If you are a Bill & Ted fan, go Bill & Ted, face the music, go away. It's very cute. It's such a cute little film, and I thought I was like, oh, this is, I don't know if this is going to age well with me. It's like, fuck no. It was good. I enjoyed it. So, it, I, I didn't expect myself to, it was, it was a, a nice surprise, so, given you know Keanu Reeves and how well he's doing, and just how amazing of a person he is, it has been rumored that Constantine II is a definite possibility in the future. The question is, but that came out but the first one came out in 2005. It is now 2023. We're coming up on near, like, and of course, to produce a movie like Constantine two with today's budgetary standards and the effect standards. We may not be looking at a Constantine 2 until like maybe 2024, possibly 2025, 20 years after the last one, after the first film. So the question is, given the length of time, given Keanu, like, a, do we want to see a Constantine 2? Is that a yes or a no on a sequel to this movie? Is he too old? Is he not too old? Can he knock out of the bar? I know he's still doing John Wick, and I think he's slated for like another, like two more Wick movies.
0: So. I mean, the thing is this, a good movie is a good movie. I think Top Gun Maverick, terminator 2 aliens those are all sequels that came out years upon years after the originals yeah. and they all knocked that out of the park
2: you just got to be smart enough to make it its own thing because like the ones you just named were different alien and aliens you know the difference between them the first one is more existential horror real subtle creeping the second is more action horror. You've got to try to make something. Where you fail is when you try to take and make a sequel or a remake that's the original thing. I think Ghostbusters, the newer one, it wasn't terrible. Um, the I'm speaking about the the one with the female cast. It wasn't terrible. It was an okay movie. But the thing that I heard it was trying to be the first one. You cannot create the magic of the era that released it. And you shouldn't try because it's going to kill you every time
0: yeah absolutely
1: so let me see here um so uh wow a lot of love so uh, sir captain says yes more and annie says sweet travis brown says if they can do it right in the second film then yes Angel Rivera says yes and says yes josh lee says yes casey cooper says yeah uh, leon richard accompanied by the birthday bat says no <laughs> oh but then turnaround said although yes but just for you guys uh denova 28
0: says yes and extra j says oh he's good for it he's good for it <laughs> I, you well, know, I John
2: point,
0: <laughs> I want to point out because we always ask questions like, should there be a sequel? Should there be a sequel? I think this is the first one where it's been an overwhelming yes because most of the time it's no. <laughs> Even so, on good yeah, films, yeah. it's like no.
1: but I think both of these because everything, ever because because Dead Snow, we talked about Dead Snow 2, Um, which I'm sorry because I would like you know your take on Dead Snow two, I think would have been would have been amazing. But should there be a Dead Snow three? Should we get Dead Snow 3 with Zombie Hitler and you know the, the conclusion to Tommy Ricola's trilogy?
0: Uh, you know what? I, I would watch it.
1: 100
0: <laughs> <laughs> percent
1: And he says, What? The All-Woman Ghostbusters was
0: shit.
2: I wouldn't go that far. I've seen <laughs> I mean, I was made to watch Witchcraft. When you when you plumb <laughs> to the depths of the barrel. And find out where, when you finally, finally touch bottom, you begin to reevaluate your standards of what <laughs> shit
0: <laughs> What is this
1: true? I, I,
2: have- I might give this, that a wet fart rating at worst.
1: Liam <laughs> Richard says, there should be at least 15 Dead Snow films. Dead Snow was pretty damn amazing. Casey Cooper said, never saw the Dresden Files TV show. Somehow missed it, read all the books, and I could picture. The Dresden Files is amazing. I love it. And, and he says, Bleh!
2: I actually met the actor who played Bob in person out in public. He uh, was working security for a mall and I'm just, you know, doing my routine, walking around slow night and up walks this guy. And I, uh, I, you know, he asked for directions to an area near here and I pause and I'm like, this is him. This is Bob because he grown a. It took a second because he grown a thick beard (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, this is Bob. And I didn't have the balls to be like, you're Bob. Holy shit. But uh, it turned out he was teaching at a college near here. He did a semester of teaching and that was him. And I'm nice. like, son of a bitch. Him and Macaulay Culkin. I met Macaulay Culkin. ran into him in person when he was filming Richie Rich. And just didn't have the balls to just be like, it's you. <laughs> I,
1: I read the same thing. Uh, very so it was, it was uh, Nick Stahl. Nick Stahl, when I was back in Texas and I was at, I was working, I was like literally at my job uh, when I was working for that convenience store chain and fucking Nick Stahl walked in one day, just out of the blue, just not just nonchalant, just kind of walked in wearing, you know, just white t-shirt. Now that was, I, I was like, holy shit. Now he has family in Texas. He has family in North Texas, which is why he was there. He just happened to pop in the store that I was working at. So he walked in and I was like, oh shit, that's fucking Nick Stahl. Damn, yeah, he's it's- coming this way. And as he was walking by, I was like, I just looked up and hey, Nick, and just went back to work, and he was just like, "Hey!" And they just—it's so damn baby. surreal.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what to do with it. You're
0: like, "Is this happening? What so the I hell?"
1: There are people too.
0: They <laughs> <laughs> so exist in the same world I do. <laughs> they do.
1: Now, Casey Cooper says, "Picture Reeves as Dresden from the from the Dresden Files." I could see that it would be a hell of a lot better than fucking Stuart Townsend as fucking Kolchak, who Darren McGavin will always be Kolchak for me, and a hell of a lot fucking better than Brandon Routh. As fucking Dylan Dog, so I think Reeves would actually do pretty good as as Harry Dresden. I do. And Denova twenty eight says, "How many witchcraft films was it? How many witchcraft films was it, Aaron?" who
2: goddamn many. How many, What was it? 16?
1: it was like sixteen. <laughs> I only I had to deal 16. with four of them. Actually, I think it was like. Uh, wait, it was no? It was it was it was eighteen, wasn't it? It was like sixteen. No, was it? It, was it like, doesn't matter. Does 16, not 17. matter. <laughs> no. <laughs> Leon Richard says, best use of intestines in any film, Dead Snow. Fuck yeah. Oh, yeah. And
2: I'm, I'm evaluating that. I'm like, how long could an intestine stand up to a flow right, of gasoline?
1: <laughs> like, Dude, that's why you need to watch the first movie. You've got to watch the first movie. And really, it, I'm just, I'm just going to lay it there. Josh Lee says, but were you supposed to be there that day? Unfortunately, I was supposed to be there that day. I was scheduled <laughs> to work that day, which is kind of cool because I happened to see Nick. Now I've met Nick in the past. Um, uh, he had he had affiliations with the school that I went to with KD Studio, and I graduated from KD. But he was there as a child actor because he came up in the business. Um, I know he had some personal stuff, but I know he's worked through it. He's doing really really good these days. I'm, I'm glad to see him working steadily again. Um, but he you know because he's got family in North Texas, and I think this is where his daughter lives. He just happened to be passing by, and he just popped into the convenience store to grab himself a, a quick energy drink, and then just bugged out. I was like, oh, I was like, oh shit, fucking Nick Stall. So I was like, damn, I was impressed. Uh, Sir Gavin said, all of them. Yes, there was Where was far too many, absolutely too many. And Rodanillo Samson said, I got to buy Quentin Tarantino a shot at the bar I was in. Very cool. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, we ran into, uh, I think we ran into, uh, when we were at Text Primary Weekend, we ran, we saw uh, Kane Hodder was chill, was at a table that was near us before they moved into an area that was a little bit more private uh, when we were at the restaurant. And then, of course, Tony Todd swung through the bar as well. Um, so we got, that was a Texas driver. Texas driver, you get a chance to kind of run into people. It was pretty cool, but yeah, hopefully Constantine, yeah, to Constantine two. Is that a yes or no from you guys?
0: Oh yeah. I'll watch it. Oh yeah.
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah. There were 16 witchcraft films. The reason I remember that is because 14? the, the ask was to watch the first one and the last three. And I remember that they should have stopped at witchcraft 13 one because 13 unlucky number would have been appropriate. And two, I wouldn't have to watch these, this shitty last trilogy that they <laughs> threw together did, 14, all at the same 16, time.
1: 14, 15, and 16 were all shot simultaneously. They were all shot back-to-back because they were a, a kind of a closing a, a trilogy on that. Yeah. And Andy says, I saw Feruza Balk at a Cottonmouth King's concert like 22 years ago. That's fucking awesome. I could totally
0: picture at a concert like that.
1: Uh-huh. I, I could oh, see yeah. at a concert like that. Hell yeah. All right, everybody. Well, it, it, it is about that time. See, a lot of love for uh, Constantine Other, Hopefully we will get it, absolutely. Um, but you know what time it is? What time is it?
0: It's trivia time.
1: <laughs> yeah, we got to love Alex for giving that to us. All right. Tonight's trivia question. Eugene will be giving it. And, of course, if you are the first correct answer in the live chat, for, this tra- for tonight's trivia question, you will win a mystery prize from the Weekend Horror Store. So flex those Google fingers and get ready to go. Eugene, just in time to give the trivia question, uh, lay it on him.
0: All right. The trivia question is, what legendary author created the character of John Constantine? What legendary author created the character of john constantine
2: this is what separates the fans from the google fingers here i've got the live chat up
0: yeah because i already bet you right now somebody already knows it first one to comment below in the live chat wins the prize boom got it angel rivera Angel Angel, rivera angel rivera he got in like a second before Roden, no last name. Before
1: uh, Roden, no last name. Yeah. Oh wow. There's a lot of people that knew that. Oh hell yeah. Jayvers says I was literally just looking at that. But <laughs> <laughs> um, Angel Rivera, correct. The answer is Alan Moore. So John Constantine was a character that was uh, that was created um, by a team, but predominantly Alan Moore, but also with the assistance of Stephen Bissett, Rick Veitch, and John Totleben. But predominantly, it came from the mind of Alan Moore, and first appeared in Swamp Thing number thirty-seven, was where John Constantine first showed up. But yes, uh, Hellblazer—you know, the badass warlock—John uh, Constantine was a creation of Alan Moore. You know, the mind behind the watch- behind Watchmen from Hell, and of course, uh, Super. Whatever happened to the man, uh, the Man of Tomorrow, which was an awesome Superman story. I love Alan Moore's work. So, congratulations, Angel Rivera. Let me get that down and. We will get this printed out and shipped to you ASAP. Congratulations. And before we jump to the plugs tonight, to the closing plugs, a big, huge announcement something very, very cool that we just started over at the Weekend Horror Discord. The link for that is in the description. But of course, our big, big supporter and follower, Rodent No Less Name, Gabba Gabba user has started, has, is helping us out by bringing. The Sunday Monster Vault. So every Sunday night, we'll get a chance to sit down and watch some movies over in the Weekend Horror Theater on the Discord channel. Some old school stuff, old school monster films, all the way back to the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, all the cool black and white stuff that we you know, we never get to, we never sit down and watch. But we will be doing the old school, the Sunday Monster Vault over at the Weekend Horror Discord. Look for those announcements when you jump over there and join us. Uh, where you can hang out with us, hang out with you know the guys here, the crew here, watch movies with us, and do all kinds of cool things. This is where we uh, we announce everything about the show. So, but yeah, look for that the Sunday Monster Vault this up upco- this upcoming Sunday where I think um, I think he's announced in the Discord what we're going to watch. But uh, look forward to those; it's going to be a blast.
2: Oh, I'm having a computer error here. Give me one second. <laughs> <laughs> Like, my mouse just went... (laughs) There we go.
1: I think he's talking to you. (laughs) Do you want me to take it?
2: Uh, No, I got it. Just barely.
0: (laughs)
1: Yeah,
2: like, we were facing full-blown, like, calling the National Guard there for a second. Alright, and that will bring us bring another episode of Weekend Horror to a close. Thank you so much for joining us, and we truly hope you enjoyed the show. Join us next week when we look back at Wes Craven's superhero adaptation of Swamp Thing, the supernatural slasher Dead Mary, the 12th entry in the Amityville franchise, Amityville Death House, and the 80's creep fest One Dark Knight. For more horror fun, be sure to follow us on all the socials for The Daily Splatter, your daily horror film recommendation. Remember, we constantly, we're we constantly being stalked by that cruelest of faceless slashers algorithm, and you can help us defeat it by dropping a comment, liking, subscribing, and smashing that notification bell like a true third-act Final Girl. Joshua Olsen does all of our amazing artwork for the show, and his designs are incredible. Hit up his store at www.badsamurai.store. A massive shout-out to all of our amazing patrons who continue to help us make Weekend Horror the incredible success it has become. And if you would like and are able to support our production, you can too you can too by joining and enjoying the tasty benefits of one of our many Patreon tiers. But if Patreon is not your favorite stalking method, you can always support us directly through our PayPal. Links to everything, including our Discord community, where you can hang out with us, are in the description below. And remember, the goal is global horror domination, and we can't do it without you, our amazing audience. So pretty pleased. With the hopes and dreams of indie horror lovers everywhere on top, go share the absolute fuck out of our little show. Thank you all for being the greatest audience a podcast could have. I'm Aaron. I'm JL. And I'm Eugene. We'll see you next week. And as always, stay scared.